The winner is Qatar. Welcome to Pinnacle's World Cup 2022 Insights, powered by InfoGoal. We're finally just about there. The final four, four great teams left standing. Who will come away with the World Cup this time around? Perhaps some of our prognostications and predictions may come to fruition. As always, I am Gareth Wheeler. The band is back together. Simon Edwards in Qatar, Jake Osgathorpe, and Andrew Beasley. Um, of course, we all expected Morocco to be in the final four and Croatia to get back to, to the final four as well. Uh, France and Lionel Messi's Argentina are left standing. Jake, your overall kind of perspective of how we've got here. And I mean, Morocco has to be the big surprise, but the, the path towards the semifinal has been anything but straightforward. Yeah, they, they are the story of the World Cup, aren't they? The first ever African team to make it to the semis. Um, the route that they've taken, I think, is probably the toughest of any of the teams remaining in the competition um, to come through, you know, a group containing fellow semi-finalists, Croatia, a Belgium team who, you know, they didn't perform at the World Cup, but they've got a lot of good individual players. Um, and then obviously Portugal and Spain in the knockouts. Really, really impressive. Um, they've done it off the back of really solid defensive play, which... You know, when it comes to knockout football, <clears throat> we know that that's a good recipe for success. If you're difficult to beat, you don't concede many chances. You might not create that many chances, but if you make it a low margin event uh, in terms of neither team creating any big chances, then, you know, the the, the, the variance that, it, that can happen is much greater. You know, you can get some really lucky swings. You could get some bad luck along the way. And, um, you know, fortunately for Morocco, they've They've had a lot of that look. Um, no goals conceded to uh, an, an opposition player, which is remarkable given the fact they've given up nearly six expected goals. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a miraculous story. It really is. Uh, and I do I do give them a decent chance of causing an upset again in the semis. Um, you know, you won't bet against them, would you? Uh, I just want to point out, being the card-carrying Canadian on this panel, you listed every team that Morocco played, with the exception of the one team that actually scored on them. Was was that a, just a slip of the mind there, Jake, or was that just a, a pointed message you're sending my way? <laughs> it was the latter, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I literally, I had the... They're reading the teams off, and I thought, oh, yeah, they played Canada. No, we'll not mention it. <laughs> That's the talking point over here, that Canada was actually in the group of death. Uh, two semifinalists yeah. coming from Group F. So um, it's kind of given us a little bit more of a pep in our step. Simon, how have things gone from your perspective up until this point? No, it's been, yeah, a really interesting tournament. And I think in terms of the atmosphere here in Qatar, uh, Morocco doing so well has been brilliant for the tournament. Not only are they an African team um, and there's a lot of African fans here, uh, they're getting the support from other African nations as well. They're also, you know, an Arabic team, a Muslim team as well. So they're getting, you know, they're, they're the local favourite 100%. When they when they won that game um, against Portugal, all in the streets, everyone beeping their horns, you know, we've seen the scenes around the world. So I think for the tournament, you know, in the same way as when we had the tournament in South Africa, having an African team doing well was important. That's definitely been really important for the competition. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been a fascinating one. Lots of surprise results. Um, yeah, and I think to see Morocco as well do as well as they have. When we looked at the team on paper at the beginning, we would say, you know, there's some good players there, but are they going to be that strong in defence? And they've been 
built around such a solid defence and they've got these very attacking, creative players to really fulfil their roles and really support the team collectively. So an amazing job by the manager um, to see them do so well. And uh, yeah, it's been a very, very interesting World Cup so far. Andrew, I know you've been spot on with your picks. I, I get, You had Morocco 1, Portugal nil in the quarterfinal. Sadly not, no. I uh, I thought Portugal would would win 1-0, actually. And, um, you know, on the, on the balance of play, maybe they should have. I mean, the Morocco story is is fantastic. On the Opta model, they have conceded 10 um, big chances to their, to their opponents and every single one has been missed or saved, which is quite lucky, let's be honest. I mean, both Spain and Portugal had three big chances against them. So it, it wouldn't have taken a sort of wildly different world for them to have gone out by now. But they've got the neutrals on side and it's fantastic that they've got this far. Um, it just makes the whole tournament far more interesting when you, when you have a few upsets along the way. And, um, you know, as much as they've had some luck, I mean, so have most teams who've got here, to be honest. So it's knockout football and, and that's the name of it. But, um, yeah, I'm slightly concerned that uh, their luck may run out in the semi-final, but uh, obviously we'll get on to that in due course. Yeah, we'll get back into Morocco, France, Croatia, Argentina, look ahead to the two semi-finals. But perhaps just to provide some perspective, based upon your observations, the data, the numbers, is there a team that is exceptionally unlucky? not to be in the final four, Jake? Like, is there a team that at this World Cup that was eliminated that you're saying, man, just what, whether it was whether it was luck not going their way or just a difficult matchup or something that kind of led to them kind of leaving the tournament earlier than expected? Yeah, there's been quite a few, actually. I think we can go all the way back to the group stage um, and start with Germany. They're a team that created an abundance of chances in the matches and, and really went out because of a... Uh, a, a defensive laps for 10 minutes against Japan if it wasn't for that they would have cruised through that group and probably won the group um actually generated 11.5 expected goals in three matches which is an astonishing figure um and held Spain to very little when they went head to head England unfortunate to go out as well um I'm not saying that patriotically that based on expected goals they they absolutely dominated France 2.7 to 1.4 obviously two of that is the penalties that, that Harry Kane had um but yeah, in that match, France had just two big chances, which came a minute apart. If you remember, Giroud's volley was saved by Pickford and then they scored the goal from the resulting corner. So England did a really good job on limiting France in general. Um, so they could probably count themselves a little bit unfortunate as well not to to have progressed. Um, and yeah, uh, probably probably the two that really stand out at the top uh, in, in, in general. Um, everyone else, you know, kind of... From an unlucky perspective, if you're looking at teams that are fortunate to be where they are, Croatia would definitely be up there. Um, that final game against Belgium, it was basically Belgium had to win to qualify and Croatia had to avoid defeat Belgium. You know, if Romelu Lukaku could uh, finish his dinner, then we might be having a completely different conversation because he missed, I think, four big chances, uh, racked up over 2.4 XG by himself in that match. So Croatia were very fortunate to come through that. And then in their two resulting qualifying matches, uh, knockouts against Japan and Brazil, they conceded over two expected goals. So, um, yeah, they're probably one that's ridden the look and, and, you know, ridden the hot hand of the goalkeeper who's been in fine form. I, I want to go to Simon because, I mean, South American football, I mean, that's your thing. I still can't believe that Brazil isn't alive in the semifinal. They're the best, they're the best team that I saw uh, over the course of this tournament. How much of a shock is that for you? Yeah, it's a shock. Uh, and for me, it's a shock the way they, they lost that game to Croatia because, um, they have great, they have great talent. They have great attacking talent, of course, but they've been so over the last three, four years, they've been so solid defensively. And Chiche is a very conservative manager. 
who, you know, would prefer to win 2-0 than risk winning 5-1, you know, many games. So to see them concede so late with five or six players upfield, he's got to be furious. Like, I don't know what happened, but even Fred in Brazil, in three Fred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, but of course, of course, you know, there's individual issues, but, you know, you you wouldn't see that from most teams. And I wouldn't expect that from Brazil. Even if Brazil winning 3-0, I'd be surprised if they... They committed that many numbers forward at that kind of situation. So, yeah, for Brazil, that's hugely disappointing um, because that's what they do well, usually, is see out games and control games. Um, and they, they fail to do that completely, um, which is a shame. I think Ecuador, going way back to the group stage, well, I'm, well, another side that's unlucky to, to miss out. Um, obviously, with Enna Valencia, the question was, do they have a goal scorer? Enna Valencia answered that question emphatically that they, they do. So given that, I think you know, from a what was quite a tough group in the end, obviously Qatar didn't turn up at all, but um, it disappointed to see them go out in the group stage. Um, and then Uruguay, I, I wasn't massively surprised about Uruguay. So uh, perhaps slightly unfortunate in the end, but uh, yeah, I think a little bit early. So uh, I'm just happy to have Argentina in the semi-final. And I think it's a really nice mix in the semi-final. We've got yeah. the Giants, the reigning champions. We've got an, uh, a representative of, of Africa, of the Middle East as well, or the Middle Eastern fans get behind. We've got a tiny European country who've never won this kind of international trophy, but have pedigree and have quality. And then we have Argentina, which, you know, is uh, representative of South America, a passionate Argentina. We've got the Messi story. We've got the Modric story. We've got the African um, story. And then we've got Mbappe trying to establish himself as the best player in the world. So lots and lots of narratives going into these semifinals. And a nice mix, I think. Well, Chiche, like, I think he's such a good manager. It's just taking off Vinicius so soon. I just, and then not having Neymar take the first penalty. Like, these are basic mistakes that came back to absolutely haunt them. What about you, Andrew, from, from your perspective? Any shock team that that's not in the semifinal or a team that maybe deserves it, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, Brazil was the main one for me. They had so many good chances against Croatia, four big chances, missed three of them. So they should really have um, put the game to bed before conceding that late goal. Um, obviously, with my club bias, should have brought Fabinho on to uh, shore it up a bit, but also he takes a mean penalty. So uh, I think he might have been a good addition late on for that one. But um, yeah, I think I think they're probably the standout one, to be honest. I think, obviously, Jake mentions England, um, obviously relevant to, to us. Um, I think they were unlucky in some senses, and you know, but they didn't create all that many chances. Um, you know, it's it's a strange game when you can be annoyed at the referee and you've still had two penalties. I don't think that sort of thing happens very often. Um, so I think they were sort of lucky and unlucky at the same time, but it wouldn't have taken a sort of wildly different game for England to be in the last four. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one with France. They seem to be getting sort of less and less impressive with each passing game. And obviously the, the standard of opponent is getting better, which probably explains that to some extent. But you look at their numbers and they're just dropping with every game. And, and obviously that will probably be, uh, you know, exactly what Morocco will be hoping for. Uh, let's start right there in the game that's upcoming on Wednesday. It's France and Morocco. Uh, we kind of documented how much of an underdog Morocco was to get to this point. It's incredible. They were plus 446 to beat Belgium in Group F. Check plus 124 to come away with over three and a half points in this group check plus 905 to win group F plus 170 to qualify for the knockouts plus 950 to reach the quarterfinals. 
Now, to win the tournament, Morocco plus 1020 pre-tournament. There were plus 32,500 to go on and win the World Cup. To reach the semifinal pre-tournament, plus 3,003. And Morocco to reach the final pre-tournament was plus 9,602. Now it's just plus 359. They're going to look to keep this fairy tale story alive. I guess the team right now that some are billing as the favorites to go on and win the World Cup. France are now minus uh, 403 to make the final and to go in the world to win the World Cup. They're listed at plus 117 on Pinnacle as well. It's funny. You may project this game. Is, is this the time where Morocco's luck runs out? Mesrawi's being banged up. Hakimi's not fully fit. They've lost both of their center backs, a guard and, and Roman Saiz through injury as well. Yet they simply do not concede goals. They've actually only conceded one goal at this World Cup, but they've only conceded one goal under this new manager as well. France with Mbappe, Griezmann, Giroud, Dembele. I mean, that's as, as impressive as the front four as you have in this tournament. So so how do you handicap this game, Jake? Understanding the history of this tournament, much more cagey tight affairs come the semifinal as well. A team that doesn't concede goals, but maybe riding their luck to a certain degree, now taking on perhaps a prohibited favorite to go on and win the World Cup. How do you handicap this game? Um well, with great difficulty. Um, there, there's so many different variables to consider. Um, you know, we, we know that France have got the pedigree in these international tournaments, having uh, won the the 2018 World Cup, but they showed at the Euros that there's still some naivety in there. You know, they threw one up against Switzerland and throw that away to go out on penalties. Um, as Andrew's rightly highlighted, the underlying metrics around France have slowly deteriorated game on game ever since they hammered Australia. Um, you know, they, I think it was nearly 4.6 expected goals against Australia, 2.95 against Denmark, less than one against Tunisia, against a really poor Poland side, 1.25, and against England, just 1.4. So, you know, the, the attacking numbers have, have really declined, um, and they've actually lost the XG battle in both knockout matches. Granted, they've conceded three penalties, but even that is a is a really interesting stat just in itself. Like, it, I think against England, they showed their rashness defensively, particularly... Theo Hernandez, um, who generally is more of a left wing back. He's much more of a left forward when he plays for AC Milan. He gets up the pitch high, doesn't really do much defending. Um, so England put him under a lot of pressure. Upper Meccano was really rash as well and could maybe be, um, you know, a real sort of issue pro- problem for France up against Endesiri, who's a really physical striker. Similar to Kane, who's happy to receive the ball to feet. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's enough negatives around this France team for me to think that Morocco can do something remarkably special. Um, they, as, as we've said, they've conceded very few chances, Morocco, in this uh, in this tournament against good teams. And I think what impressed me most about the Portugal victory is the fact that they did so without some of their best players. You know, you, you mentioned there, Aguer, the West Ham centre-half, was out. The left-back, Masraoui, was out. Um, you know, Roman Seis went off at part, like, what was it, 60 minutes or something like that? But they still looked as resolute even with you know those players coming in. And that's just purely because of the system that they play, the trust and the belief they have in their manager. Um, and you know they, they have quality in forward areas. Um, and I think that that's one, the key battle in this match is just going to be down Morocco's right, France's left, because Morocco's right is a real strength in terms of you know defensively and attack. You've got Hakimi and Ziyech. And France, they're, they're, all their attacks, well, most of them coming down the left-hand side with Hernandez and Mbappe. And, you know, 
we saw England try and isolate that left-hand side and really cause problems because they thought it was a weak point as well as a strong point. And I can see Morocco doing the same thing. So whoever wins that battle down that flank will have a really, really good chance of qualifying. So um, I, I think at the prices, you've got to take Morocco. I think that France are too short at, at minus 400 to qualify. Morocco plus 357 implies a 22% chance of qualifying. The Infocom model, doing all the simulations, actually makes Morocco a 29% favourite. Uh, sorry, not favourite, a 29% chance of qualifying. So this should be closer to plus 245 on the money line. So from a pure value perspective, taking Morocco to cause another upset, um, you know, screams value. Um, and yeah, it, it, you know, it's difficult because, you know, you've got France playing Morocco. Morocco have never been here before. France have you know, won the last World Cup and they've, they've got the direct players that can cause problems. but. You have to respect this Moroccan team. Simon? Yeah, I've been really impressed by Morocco. Um, I think the unity, the collective spirit has been so important. And I think that for me gives me a little bit of hope in terms of their chances because they haven't relied on exceptional individuals defensively. Now, there's been some stars at the back, but I think what we've seen is even the more attack-focused players, the like of Ziyech and the like of guys you wouldn't expect to put in a great defensive shift, have been getting back, have been covering... And um, they've been really good in the transition. So I think the collective spirit, the defensive quality as a group is there. Obviously, the individual is going to be uh, missed as well. Um, for me, my sense with this one is if they can get an early goal or they can take it to 50 minutes, 60 minutes, then we're going to see some heroics. We're going to see that passion carry them through. But I think they're a bit exhausted and they're very emotional. And that's going to be great if it goes well. But I think if France score early, it could get a little bit ugly. It could be a challenging one. So that's kind of my feelings for this one. I've been really, really impressed with Morocco. And I think that they're going to do everything while they're in the game. But if France get a goal, if Mbappe is looking on form, if he's finding space, then it could be a step too far and we could see them really suffer a bit. So I think it's going to be go one of the two ways, really. A very, very tight game and potential Morocco in the World Cup final or a step too far and, and a difficult one. Mbappe could be that player, Andrew, like even against England, a game where he didn't really create any chances every time he was on the ball. He just seems so dangerous and he draws so much attention. Now he goes up against his PSG teammate in Akimi down that left hand side, right hand side for Morocco as well. Um, does that matchup come into play for you the way that you look at this game overall? Yeah, I mean, it, it has to. Mbappe is so good that, it, that he always sort of draws the attention. Obviously, he had a quiet game against England. I think it was one shot and one chance created. He wasn't sort of too involved um, in their attacking output in that game. I think clearly, um, you know, the sort of Griezmann-Giroud combination we saw in the England game is, is perhaps going to pay off for, um, for France in this one because... Uh, some of the big chances Portugal had were from crosses and they they didn't convert them. But you think, well, if, if someone like Griezmann can get a good crossover to Giroud, I think there's a, there's a lot bigger chance that, that he will take that opportunity. Um, I mean, in terms of the, the game itself and, and sort of bets and things like that, something I've noticed looking back at the history of um, World Cup semi-finals, they, they, they've been in since 1982. The, the World Cup's in the 74-78 didn't have a semi-final, but since 1982, there's been a semi-final. And uh, only four of the 20 teams have seen, uh, sorry, four of the 20 ties have seen at least three goals. And in the last 10, only three of them have seen both teams score. So it seems that the uh, the high stakes and everything that's involved 
means that you don't get many goals and you don't get both teams scoring very often. So um, no to both teams to score and under 2.5 goals is available at plus 104. That looks like a good bet to me because I think if Morocco score, then obviously they'll be playing for a for a 1-0. And I think if France score, it's going to be very difficult for Morocco to then get back into it. So a no and under 2.5 bet um, makes sense to me because I think whoever scores may well be able to see it out. It's just a question of who also gets that goal. It's actually crazy when you, when you look back through those World Cup semifinals, Andrew, like through Italian 90, only two games have been decided by more than a goal. One of them came in extra time in 2006, Italy, Germany. The other one, 7-1 in 2014. Who can forget that in Germany and Brazil? So even when sometimes things look like it's a little bit more of a mismatch on paper, the games are played exceptionally close. Because the closest team that I can attribute what Morocco is doing, and Simon, you've documented it, just about kind of the feel of the home support. Like it's it's like they're playing home games here. It's South Korea in 2002. And, and another team who some of their Parts maybe were greater than the individual pieces. That's kind of how I look at this Morocco side. So if you're looking at the spread and based upon the history of it all, Morocco at plus one and on the handicap at minus 104, um, it jumps off the page to me as well, especially if you think it's going to be a close game. Now, now you can look at things on the other side of the equation as well. Perhaps Morocco has run their race. Perhaps this is and will be a lopsided game just based upon the quality that France has in attack. And it's easier to kind of compensate from some of the key losses in the team over a one-game period of time. And let's be honest, Portugal were abysmal. They, they showed no composure on the ball. Um, I don't know if the Ronaldo stuff was 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 part of, you know, a lack of focus, a lack of vision. I, I'm not sure how it played out, but Portugal was abysmal on that day. And Morocco's been able to take full advantage. So there's a couple of ways to look at this. Also, we, we should say that the total for the match is set at 2.25 and the over is at plus 101 and the ender is at minus 113. Um, I should also mention on Pinnacle, France to win in 90 minutes is minus 188, plus 303 for the draw, plus 663 for Morocco to win in 90. Is there a play that you're making in this game, Jake? Um, no, I'll probably just have a, a, a not not in the actual match market, but I'll probably just have a small bet on Morocco to qualify at plus 357. I think, that, I think that's a big number. Um, I think they've shown that they're more than capable of keeping things tight. And, you know, their game plan generally is to hold out for a nil-nil. If they, if they get a chance and score one nil, great. If not, then we go to extra time and penalties. And, and it becomes, you know, much more... It, having a penalty shootout is a much more even way of deciding a football match than over 90 minutes. Because, yes, there's individual quality to think about, but there's a lot of luck involved um, and a lot of, you know... If one team goes in front or two in front, then the pressure mounts and the pressure changes, the pressure shifts, etc. Um, and I think they've got a good goalkeeper for penalties as well. Bono has been playing really well, uh, and his, his shot stopping has been one of the things that's that's kept them in the tournament. So, um, yeah, I, I think that chancing them to qualify, if it's just, I guess you could you could take the draw in the in the ninety minute market as well, at plus three hundred three. Um, yeah, I'm just, I think France are just too short. So the, my main thing is just to oppose France, whether mm. that be with a handicap, whether that be um, by taking the, the draw or by just backing Morocco to qualify. Uh, Morocco obviously has already been in a penalty shootout in this tournament, uh, defeating Spain in the process. We should also mention, Simon, before I ask you if you have a play for this game, 
Um, France has conceded a goal in every game they played in at this tournament against a team that simply doesn't concede. Does that go into your thought process at all? Yeah, look, I think it's I think it's valid. And um, you know, as I say, the, the pressure from Morocco and the pressure for France is different because Morocco, if Morocco lose 5-0, they go home heroes. If France lose 1-0, they've they've messed up their biggest chance to win the World Cup. You know, they've they've let it slip. How could they lose against Morocco? You know, so while there's obviously pressure, these Moroccan players are heroes. And, you know, that will come into the mentality. They're, they're going into this with, with nothing to lose. They've far exceeded any expectation. Um, so I think the pressure's on France to make something happen. And I think in the transition, we've seen Morocco really, really good. They get they get numbers forward. They're still not conceding many chances. So, you know, there's there's lots of reasons why you say France, France win this. But, you know, this has been a, a World Cup full of narratives and... Uh, and, and you know Morocco are really doing well, so I think I think uh, it's a decent shout in terms of Morocco getting through. You know, I, I, it will be difficult to predict perhaps how they how they do it, uh, whether it's penalties, where it's a, it's a goal, one goal, or, you know, where it's you know whatever a France defensive meltdown. And we've seen some rash defending from the French. You know, even in just that England game, we've seen some very physical challenges. The referee looks at that another way. They concede, you know, plenty more than they they did. So. You know, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating one, and I think you know there's there's good there's good enough reason to think Morocco could sneak through somehow in this one. France haven't been perfect. I think Griezmann's been incredible. I think he's been uh, alongside Mbappe the kind of star performer, and the way he presses and he's tireless and all that kind of stuff. I think that's going to be really interesting against a very dynamic Morocco midfield. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a decent chance to see to see Morocco sneak through somehow to a World Cup final. And, you know. Yeah, it would be incredible. But Moroccan supporters are going to love this podcast so far, by the way. <laughs> uh, Andrew, giving us one play. Are you going to rain on their parade here at all, or are you just going to continue to back Morocco? No, yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Jake particularly. I think the Morocco to qualify price looks looks very intriguing, very um, enticing, I should say. I also like um, nil-nil at half time, um, which I've just lost. But uh, six of the last 10 World Cup semifinals have been nil-nil at halftime. And obviously one of the others was the Brazil-Germany, um, you know, crazy game. You look back at 2002, Brazil against um, Turkey, Germany, South Korea, sort of broadly similar to ties to what we've got here. They were both nil-nil at halftime and settled in the second half. So um, that uh, is another one that probably uh, stands out to me a little bit. That might be worth a look. Interesting. Um, we should also mention no repeat winners in the World Cup since 1962. Brazil went back to back and we still do have a chance for the exact same final to play out in back to back World Cups. That hasn't happened since 86, 90 in Argentina and West Germany. Any final thoughts? Go around the horn. Put up your hand if you No, no, we're good. Uh, so looks like there's a lot of Moroccan backing on this podcast. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out, whether this fairy tale story can continue. I just want to mention, I think Antoine Griezmann is being unbelievably good in a different role in this tournament. Key matchup in the middle of the park, Am- uh, Amrabat and Unahi. And I knew nothing about Unahi coming in. The guy can run for days. He has like, these Patrick Vieira legs 
and he just covers so much ground. It's it's just incredible the work rate that those two players have put in the middle of the park. And if they can deal with Griezmann and and, and Rabio and Chumani, um, I, I think it could be a real contest. It's going to be a key and critical matchup there in the middle of the park. So a reminder, go to pinnacle.com for all of your odds and the latest on that. Uh, Morocco, by the way, only Costa Rica has less possession in this tournament, by the way. So possession, another one of those stats, just get rid of it. It doesn't really matter whatsoever. Looking forward to this one, Croatia and Argentina, two sides that have got to this place in a very different way. Croatia have only led in this tournament for 46 minutes. It was against my side. It was it was against Canada in the second half of that game. Other than that, they've been playing from behind, but they're undeterred. They have so much experience in that team. I think they have the most balanced midfield in this entire World Cup was Brozovic, holding Kovacic, the legs, and the absolute class of Luka Modric in the middle of the park. They also probably have the best center back in this tournament as well. I cannot believe they came from behind to beat Brazil in that game. Uh, They started the Brazil game plus 540 to go on. That was a 2.5% chance to advance when they were one down, yet they found a way to reach the semifinal pre-tournament plus 750 to reach the final Pre-tournament, plus 17.02, now just plus 231, and Croatia will win the World Cup, plus 5,000, and pre-tournament, 8.17. They're actually given the longest odds for the final among the final eight, the quarterfinalists, to go on and win the World Cup. Yet, it seems like they're in a decent position to potentially get back to a World Cup final. Argentina hasn't been pretty at times. It has been scrappy, but Lionel Messi has been out of this world in this tournament. Argentina make the semifinals pre-tournament plus 120 to reach the final pre-tournament plus 300. Now just minus 254. Argentina to win the World Cup plus 535. Second favorites pre-tournament now at plus 162. Uh, They survived against Australia. They somehow in the Netherlands were sleepwalking for 80 minutes and they came, uh, came back. Weghorst of all players, uh, who knew a Burnley player was going to light the tournament on fire, at least for a brief period of time. But Argentina is there and it seems like it could be destiny with Lionel Messi winning the World Cup uh, in what should be his final World Cup as well. We should point out that Montiel and Acuna, two Important wide players for Argentina will be suspended for this upcoming game against Croatia as well. Simon, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, Argentina was my pre-tournament pick to go on and win this, but they haven't looked convincing over the course of the process, which ultimately at World Cups, it doesn't matter. You just need to do enough to advance. What do you make about where they stand right now and how they look going into this semifinal match against Croatia? Yeah, I think they're one of the teams that came into the tournament with kind of a clear idea of what they were, very consistent performers, lots and lots of good results, getting the wins, 3-0 against Italy, we know what they were about. And then they've had to kind of start from scratch during this tournament. You know, it wasn't, you often see that in tournaments, teams kind of grow into themselves. We didn't expect that, well, I didn't expect that to be the case for Argentina because they had lost for years and years and years and suddenly they lose to Saudi Arabia and, you know, they, they have to make changes. And I think they've, evolved and adapt throughout the tournament you know I didn't expect this to be a tournament where Messi had to carry them through games at times he's had to do that but I think a very important evolution is Enzo Fernandez coming into the midfield uh, he's been incredible and he gives them so much when he's on the field Messi doesn't have to drop back to get the ball from the defense 
And that has been a problem for Argentina in the past. You don't want Messi doing that. Messi gets sick of it. Like, I'm not getting the ball. I need to come deep and get it and make things happen. You want Messi to be receiving the ball in the final third. And he'll go wherever, wherever he needs to go, but let him be free, but keep him up there. So I think Endo and Anders has been really important. And I think, yeah, as I say, I think they've grown. The first two games, they couldn't put the passes together. I think Poland did them a massive favour by just basically watching for 90 minutes and letting them get their passing rhythm going and letting them find the space. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and giving them a complete warm-up game for the court final, you know, and and giving them very few headaches in that game. So I think that helped them get their confidence back. And then from then, I think they've been growing. Um, And I think the, the shift to the back three, the back five against Holland was important and worked well. Um, and I think they might go back to a back four for this semi-final, just because, as you say, they're missing fullbacks. They've got um, Molino the right who can push on. I think with Tiaglifico coming in on the left, they might go back to a back four. Obviously, Di Maria potentially coming back in in the final third to go to a 4-3-3 with um, McAllister, Hernandez uh, and uh, Depaul in midfield. Um, but that game against Holland was fascinating. And also the fact that they were, I think for me in that game, it was like they were, it, the passion overtook them in a, in a great extent. Paredes comes on to see out the game, manage the midfield, get some control <laughs> after five minutes, lunges into a 50-50, yeah. gets up, lunges into another one, gets a yellow card, boots the ball at the opposition bench. And I think I think that's their greatest strength in the many ways, the, the passion, the the win at any cost, aggression, mentality, all of that stuff is, is great. But I also think if they just kept doing what they were doing against Holland, there wouldn't have been any drama. You know what I mean? Like they they built all of this tension up and they built up all of the the variables, whereas the game was just being seen out. So that for me is what will help them win the World Cup, but it's also something that could potentially lose in the World Cup. It's amazing no one got a red card in the semi-final. Uh, everyone, everyone was booked. You know, so I think, I think the 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 unpredictable nature of this Argentina side is great, but it's also a slight concern against a very predictable Croatia, because Croatia will just pass it and pass it and pass it around the midfield. They'll stay organised. They'll give the opposition as little of the ball as possible, um, and they know what to do in tournament football, as we've seen. So. It's going to be a fascinating one. I also think Martinez is like the best penalty shootout goalkeeper I've ever seen. The way he gets in the opposition heads, he's really good at saving penalties. But, you know, as as a fan of Colombia, uh, I hated him in the Copa America, getting in the face of Jenny Mina, you know, dance now, all that kind of stuff. But I loved him seeing it against Holland. So, you know, it's funny how these things can, uh, can change. But he's a big factor. If it goes to penalties... As good as Croatia are, if anyone can unsettle the composed, mature Croatian takers, I think Martinez might might find a way to wind them up a little bit. <laughs> but, but by the way, I had Simon Edwards' head or voice in my head about that when that Otamendi moment was going to happen, and you put Paredes on the field as well. There's only room for one butcher in that team. Uh, well, I guess you throw Martinez in, and you could have a third at center back as well. So I mean, I, you're you're right. They, they do play with fire. You, you speak about penalties. Livakovic for Croatia saved four penalties in two games, and Croatia are the penalty kings. Like this is what they do in nine of ten games that they played in knockout round football since 2008. They've gone to extra time. Five of them have gone to penalties, and this team that that's all they do is win penalty shootouts. So Andrew, when you're looking at to this game 
How do you handicap it? You know, aside in Argentina, their last two World Cup semifinals, they've also gone to penalties as well. And when I'm looking at the odd, plus 243 for a draw. Croatia on the handicap, it's basically a draw, no bet, uh, uh, plus 105. <laughs> I'm looking for that kind of value because if any game has extra time written all over it, isn't it this one? Certainly of the of the two semifinals we've got, yeah. I mean, obviously, we've already talked about there aren't generally many goals um, in these matches and they do tend to go the distance. Um, and, and as you said, with Croatia, they've yet to score first in, in any game. And, and how long can you keep doing that? Interestingly as well, because Argentina have scored first um, in every game they've played. Uh, but strange thing about Argentina, they've been very impressive defensively. I mean, they've only conceded... I think it's 1.9 expected goals, no more than 0.6 in any game, no more than six shots in any game. And yet they've somehow conceded five goals from next to no chances. And although they've kept two clean sheets, the three times they've, three games in which they've conceded, they then haven't scored again. It's almost like, oh, we've conceded. We can't, we can't possibly come back from this, which I, which I don't think is strictly what's happened, but it's just an interesting thing about them. You think if Croatia do score first here for the first time in the tournament, First time Argentina can see first, could it actually prove sort of fairly decisive with how the, the teams have uh, have been performing in this? But um, yeah, you're right to um, highlight the Croatian goalkeeper as well. Obviously, Livakovic, he's conceded three goals fewer than XG on target suggests he should have, which is the best of, of any goalkeeper in the tournament. So um, much as I was saying for France-Morocco, I mean, this has to be a game where you where you look low on goals. I think I think Argentina probably will just edge it um, because they've got this sort of record of, of scoring first and, and a strong defensive process, very strong defensive process. So uh, something like both teams to score no in Argentina, that's plus 182. Um, Argentina to win 1-0 is plus 492. That appeals quite a lot. I think that's something like that is uh, is what we're going to look at. Um, but obviously, as I say, if Croatia score first, then they could possibly hold on because they'll, they'll ensure that Argentina don't have many shots thereafter. Uh, these are two teams that just don't lose games, Jake. So how are you handicapping this one? Uh, it, it's another one that's really difficult because on paper, Argentina should be, you know, and rightly are favourites to qualify and probably heavy, heavy favourites because, as Andrew said, their underlying data has been fantastic. Um, defensively been excellent, conceded very few chances, conceded from low probability efforts. Um, and Croatia have been the opposite, you know, conceded over three expected goals against Belgium over two expected goals in both games against Japan and Brazil. Um, but they keep finding a way. Uh, they keep finding a way of, of pulling through. And, you know, it, it's similar to what we saw at the last World Cup in the sense that they dragged games out for what seemed like days on ends until we saw penalty shootouts. Um, and, yeah, they, they, they've got previous in doing this. And they're, they're quite comfortable in the in the knockout football in the sense that they always know they're going to get another chance. We saw that against Brazil. I think everyone in the entire world thought that when Brazil went in front, that was game over. But Croatia, I mean, to get that mindset back, you know, on the game. And, you know, there was quite a few with head in, with, with the heads in the hands thinking that it was over. But those, you know, those level-headed midfielders, particularly Modric and Brozovic, were very much... Uh, no, it's all right. We're going to get a chance. And, and you know, they did. And and I think that tells, says a lot about the mental strength as well as the physical strength to actually play for so long uh, and create chances. I think that this could be a really difficult opponent for Argentina because they really struggled with the direct approach of Netherlands. Playing, obviously, you know, they, they were chasing the game massively, weren't they? And they threw Weghorst and they threw De Jong up front uh, and just started pumping balls. And, and I, I honestly think that Croatia 
They might not play that direct because that would just negate the midfield quality that they've got. But they are one of the best teams at getting the ball out wide and putting crosses in the box. In fact, no no team has crossed the ball more at this World Cup than Croatia into the box. So, um, you know, I, I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he started with Petkovic, the big centre forward, instead of Kramaric. Um, just because you know the, the Argentine Argentine weakness is is in defence. It is the, the height. They're not very big defenders. Otamendi, Martinez, if they play, they're not the tallest. I think Petkovic is the six foot three, six foot four kind of guy. And if you've got you know whether it be Perisic from the left or Sosa or the right back Jovanovic, who's doing um, you know cracking overlapping runs and crossing balls in, I think they can cause problems and create chances against um, this Argentina backline. So as with the France Morocco. I'm happy to take a swing with the underdogs uh, to cause an upset. I really am. I think that, you know, as we mentioned, that Croatia have got a real real knack and a real history of, of getting through these knockout ties. And, you know, you're getting plus 210 for um, for this Croatia team who are probably, in my opinion, better than the last World Cup because they've got a, they've got that, that nice blend of really top quality experience with, you know, the youthful exuberance, but also the, you know, the like Vardial, he's 20 years old playing at centre half. He looks like he's about 28. He's like at the peak of his powers. Um, and the two fullbacks, I think, are massive when they're fit. I think they're really important. And you've still got that stardust in midfield. And um, you know, it's a knockout football. You don't need to score that many goals. And, you know, they haven't, they've done enough. Uh, and, and they've got a fantastic goalkeeper in the net. So again, I'm I'm just gonna take Argentina uh, take Croatia's qualify at plus two ten. Um I think if you I, I'd, I'd love to see an Argentina-France final, but I think that the value play, the smart play, is to back both the underdogs to qualify. And if one of them gets through, you've you've made a profit. Um, and, and, you know, this World Cup has been full of shocks, hasn't it, from start to finish? So wouldn't it be fitting to see one more shock in the semifinal? Yeah, I, I don't think that they should be that much of an underdog. I've... I mean, they played they, just, they played Neymar. It took a very special moment for Brazil to score through Neymar. Uh, What's the way forward through Lionel Messi here, Simon? You've seen him play tight, cagey games before. Croatia almost plays not to lose. Like, they don't want to beat themselves. They drop those central midfielders so deep. Like, even to come, when they're playing the ball at the back, Brozovic, Mojakovic, they, they all drop. And it's like Lovren and uh, and, and the, the, the two center backs aren't the ones who are playing the ball forward. It's the midfielders who are dropping so deep. So what's the way through if Lionel Messi is going up against like a Croatian wall, essentially across the back line here? Yeah, I think I think one mistake Brazil made was having two one and a half midfielders against those three Croatians. I think Brazil never really controlled the midfield. Now, obviously, you know, when it works, it's amazing. You have four, five, six attackers in Brazil pitched up against the opposition defence. They never really got going, but I think they just never controlled that midfield. So I think that will be something that Argentina will look to address. I think um, that will be key. Even if they can't control the midfield, at least prevent Croatia controlling it, or at least prevent you know the Croatian three knocking it about. There's, Argentina have been very energetic in their press, not always 100% effective, but at least fairly disruptive with their energy, particularly with Julian Alvarez coming on and looking good. Enzo giving a bit more balance, McAllister getting around the pitch, DePaul getting a foot in. I think they can disrupt that Croatian midfield. Um, and I think they can potentially win the ball a little bit more effectively there than Brazil did. Which again, if you can get Messi the ball in transition, he'll he'll make a chance. He'll get a shot off, he'll he'll find some space. So I think that will be important to try and win the ball a little bit higher. 
against that Croatia team. Um, stop, you know, kind of counter-pressing. Before they can hit you, hit them back and get the ball and then suddenly they're out of position, you've got Messi in key areas. I also think um, Messi's so good at receiving the ball. I mean, it, is, it kind of seems pointless to talk about how good Messi is now, but he can receive the ball marked by three players and he, he will be thinking about the pass rather than the three players about to kick him, you know? So I think that will be important. You know, he drifts out wide. I think we'll, we will see. It'd be interesting to see if this happens, but I think we might see a 4-3-3 for Argentina um, with just one of the fullbacks pushing on and Tagliafico sitting more deep on, on the left. Um, so I think that will be a slightly different shape. And I think potentially if the Di Maria is fit, he'll be potentially making those runs in behind when there is those transitions. So I think a concern for Argentina may be that Julian Alvarez gets a little bit isolated. We did see that at times in the last game. Um, but I think there's just a lot of energy with the Argentina side. And I think if there's enough moving pieces, if everyone's if everyone's making forward runs, that's when Messi's so dangerous. Not only finding the pass, but finding the space for the pass. Because suddenly the defence is looking at the guys running in behind and Messi's standing still. And, you know, he gets the ball and we saw that pass against Holland, you know. So I think that's <laughs> that will be the confidence that we get from Argentina. If Messi gets the ball... And there's a one in a thousand chance of making a pass, you know, you back him to make it. And also, you know, he can shoot from distance as well. So it will also be 95, 8, 97% Argentina fans in the stadium. Yeah. And they've been incredible with the, with the backing and the support. So, um, yeah, I think the whole world will be waiting to see if Messi and Argentina can do this. Um, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting if, if Croatia can disrupt that. But I think Argentina will get in their face and, and put them under more pressure than Brazil did. Uh, Brazil are controlled. Brazil are good. But this Argentina side has passion. It has energy. It has momentum. I think that's going to be an important factor. Andrew, any other observation, plays or numbers to share? Um, I think we've probably covered most of them. But um, one that really stands out to me, really, just comparing the two teams, um, is that Croatia conceded 21 shots and uh, I think it was about 2.5 XG against Brazil, which is basically the same as Argentina have allowed in the whole tournament, which I think says everything. I think it's going to be all sort of Argentina, but that doesn't mean that Croatia can't do it because we've, we've seen them do it. And as you've said, they, they basically go to penalties every time they play a knockout game. So I think Argentina will win, but it obviously would not be much of a surprise if uh, if Croatia did it yet again. Jake, final word to you on this one. Yeah, I think what Simon has just said there in terms of the fact that most of the world is probably wanting to see Messi and Argentina advance and progress and win the, the, the whole tournament means that there's even more value in back in Croatia uh, because people generally, the ones that, you know, they they, just, they, back, they bet with their hearts. We see that from um, particularly over here in England. When in, Whenever England play, there's so much pa patriotic staking on England to, to win, which means that the price is artificially short. And if, the, if that's the case with Messi, with Argentina, with the fact that most people want to see him um, advance and do well, then the market's swung too much in Argentina's favour. And, and I think Croatia are, are the value play. Um, out, of, out of the two, I wouldn't be the two semi-finals. that is. Um, I think Croatia have got the best chance of causing an upset. Yeah. Uh, I like it to go to extra time. I, I probably penalties as well. One other play I'm making over four and a half bookings at plus 100 even odds. Um, cards are out the window. They don't matter after this game. And I think there's going to be a lot of 
um, the dark arts, let's put it that way in this game through um, 120 minutes, like I'm, I'm predicting as well. But for all you Lionel Messi and Argentina backers out there, four times they've been to the semifinal, four times they've gone on to advance to a World Cup final. So it's a good omen. Once they reach this stage, they generally go on and get the job done to go play in a World Cup final. Finally, a little bit of business. We talked about the golden boot, the golden ball before, and Jake, I think you tipped us Lionel Messi golden ball over the golden boot because one can kind of turn into the other, and it's where what provided more value. Uh, right now, if we're looking at the players still really in contention, and of course, anything can happen come these semifinals, but generally, like Andrew documented, they're low scoring. Uh, Kylian Mbappe's on five goals, Olivier Giroud on four, Messi on four, Alvarez on two Mbappe right now on pinnacle to win the golden boot at minus 179 Giroud at plus 597 and Messi at plus 289 anything to add there Jake in terms of who may be the favorite right now in your eyes and whether there is any betting value here yeah yeah from a from a betting standpoint I think Giroud's the value um you know I, I just think the Mbappe is too short we, we saw England's approach to France, which was just nullify Mbappe. Um, and it means that, you know, when your attention is, is focused elsewhere, then we know France have got good players to hurt you and Giroud's that guy. And uh, I do think if France is going to get a result against Morocco, having that proper number nine, that really big aerial dual winner in the middle of the, uh, of the, of the front line is going to be, it's going to be key. And, and yeah, he, I think he's got a really good chance because if France do get to the final, then as I've said, the, the, the likelihood is whoever plays against France is going to do all they can to keep Mbappe quiet, which leaves the door open for Giroud. Andrew? No, I was going to make the exact same suggestion, to be honest. I mean, Mbappe has the uh, the edge on assists. If, it, if it's a tie, then uh, that will help him take the uh, take the, the golden boot. But I'm in complete agreement, really. I mean, Giroud looks the uh, looks the value play there. And I, I'm, I still wouldn't rule Messi out. I mean, he's scored or assisted in every game so far, I think it is. So, um, you know... Nobody would be surprised if he scored in the semi-final and the final, such as the way his tournament's been going. But uh, no, I mean, Giroud undoubtedly looks the value play at this point. Simon, want to make the case for Lionel Messi here? Yeah, I'd happily do that. I can see why Giroud and the odds as well are very attractive. Um, I can see lots of crosses into the box. You know, he's strong in the air. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's potentially a, a good shout. Um, Messi, yeah, look, he takes penalties. He takes three, doesn't take penalties very well. <laughs> If he scores half of them, he might get two. Um, but look, penalty taker, free kick taker. Um, if we see Croatia sitting deep, the chances will come around the box. That's where Messi's going to be. Um, so, you know, 100%, you know, it definitely could be Messi. Um, these look potentially like tight games. Messi's the guy who opens up a tight game. So, uh, yeah, 100%. I think Messi's a decent shout. Um, but I, I do understand why Giroud is very attractive at those odds, particularly getting those crosses into the box against a Morocco side that, as I say, I think could potentially be heroic to the last minute or could potentially concede five goals and completely collapse. So, uh, yeah, Messi's be... averaging five shots on target over the course of his last three games as well. And has that knack for scoring the opening goals in games as well. I did want to bring up the golden ball market. Check out the future plays on Pinnacle because, you know, there's no surprise. Messi's the favorite 
They go on and win this. It's a it's a lock plus 118. Killing Mbappe plus 147. I kind of feel like it's in the air. PSG owned by Qatar Sports Investment. It's being played in Qatar. He's the star boy of this tournament. Simon, you said make it. I think he is the best player in the world today. But and here's the big but here. What if Jake, you know, what if these upsets play out in this in 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 the semifinal here? What if we end up having a Croatia Morocco final? Where does the golden ball go to? And it typically goes to attacking talent. But for this Moroccan side, we know how they've got there. It's through outstanding defensive play. I'm looking at Hakimi at plus 5,259. If you think there's a chance that Morocco goes on to shock the world here, that's a big number for arguably the team's top player. Unless you want think that Amrabat is being more worthwhile. and He's at plus 2,210. What about Croatia? Has Modric be, actually been the best player on the team? I mean, he's the shortest odds of any Croatian player at plus 1238. So I kind of want to go around the horn for the golden ball. Like, d- does the fact that if an upset happens, this market looks completely out of whack right now? Because if, if it's Argentina, it's Messi. If it's France, it's seemingly Mbappe. But after that, if it's Croatia, Morocco, then things kind of get thrown out of whack. So, Jake, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, it's a narrative-driven award. This it's not it's not given based on stats or anything like that. And you know, I think the fact that Messi dragged Argentina to the semi-finals is, in my opinion, enough for him to get the award. Being it's his last World Cup, um, we saw Diego Forlan in 2010 didn't get to the final, won the Golden Ball. Um, we've seen that generally it's the losers of the World Cup final, the player in that team wins the award. So Modric last time out. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's really difficult to look past Messi unless Mbappe does something daft against Morocco, like scores a hat trick and then does, you know, carries his team to the final, and then, and then it probably would flip to Mbappe. But um, yeah, if, if out of the two Moroccan players, I definitely think Amrabat is the shout over Hakimi. I think that the you know, as I said, it's narrative driven. There's there was so much buzz around his performance against Spain, um, and against Portugal. That the, the fact that he's so cool, calm under pressure. Um, was it? I think it was against. I think it was Portugal where he picked the ball up in like the 95th minute, beat three or four players and sent Morocco on the counter-attack. Those kind of things are the the things that people look at and remember uh, when handing this award out. So if Morocco did advance to the final, that would be my bet. 100% would be Amrabat. Uh, But I, you know, we're on Messi pre-tournament at plus 650 or something like that. I think that bet's still looking really good. Andrew. Yeah, it's uh, as Jake rightly says, it is normally the losing finalist that provides the uh, golden ball so winner. <laughs> yeah, strange because I think they give it out before the final, but it does sort of imply that perhaps it's somebody who gets an underdog there more than somebody who plays the favourite a lot of the time. I think if you look at the man of the match awards from the tournament for what they're worth, I mean Mbappe and Messi have got three apiece, um, but you then got Modric on two. So I mean, if if Croatia are to reach the final, he would probably have a big part to play whether he can win back-to-back golden balls is is perhaps asking a lot um but I, I agree that um Amrabat looks a decent bet if Morocco get there I mean of the players listed in the pinnacle market I mean I Griezmann I don't think he'll win it but I mean he he made a pretty good case that he should win it but um been brilliant yeah yeah but as we've said these things are somewhat sort of whether they're political or what you know players getting man of the match awards because of their names more than their performance. So it's hard to say. I mean, um, another player with two uh, Man of the Match awards is Bono, the Moroccan goalkeeper. He got the Man of the Match in both of the uh, the knockout games they've played. I mean, he 
probably need a man of the match performance to to get them to the final. But he's not showing in the market. And it's you know it's perhaps a bit of a of a long shot. But um, yeah, I think um, Modric and Amrabat certainly look interesting. I guess if we get the final with the two favourites, then yeah, you'd have to think probably Messi. One last Canadian show. Bono was born in Montreal, by the way, guys. So there's the Canadian connections all over this tournament. Simon, anything to add or is this Lionel Messi's to lose? No, like I can completely understand why Messi might be the, the romantic favourite. But if we're looking at the romantic side, I think also the fact that Modric won it last time makes it, I think, more difficult for him to win it again, potentially. Which is why, look, there's a scenario where Amrabat or a Moroccan player could win it. Messi goes into the final as top goal scorer, golden boot already secured. They've got the photo of Messi holding up the golden boot, ready to go for the final. It's Morocco joining him in the final. Then none of the French contenders are there. You want to have Messi up there with the, the golden boot, plus a North African player uh, in the final. If, if Morocco get through and Messi's already secured the golden boot, then I think Amrabat is a decent shout because you want that photo opportunity, right? You want Messi there, World Cup one hand, golden boot the other hand, and then you've got a North African, an African representative there with a golden ball. So there we go. I've, I've almost persuaded myself. <laughs> it's also, it is, it's very rare that the golden boot winner actually wins a golden ball as well, even if they get to the final and they're the losing finalists. Um, I think the only time it's happened in recent memory was actually in the women's game, the last the, the last Euros. Uh, Beth Mead won both. Uh, I, don't think it's ha- I don't think it's ever happened in the men's game. So, um, yeah, that's something to bear in mind. If, if Messi does go in as a top scorer, it's very unlikely I mean, it could happen, given everything you've said about the Qatar links, the fact that it is, you know, it's it won the World Cup. Is it? I can't get past that. Ronaldo. I feel like this is. I think this is part of Mbappe's contract, Jake. Like he does the work for PSG, <laughs> but this is part of it, right? There has to be some kind of connection here. This is well, that's Messi why plays I can't for, get for for PSG as well. So very well. Know, yes, yes, you're right. But yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we'll be back later this week, and we'll look at all of the markets pertaining to the World Cup final. Uh, in the meantime, Andrew, where can our listeners and viewers follow along with you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Basetune to Red on Twitter, so anything I write gets shared there. Jake? At jcos 2 zs And Simon? Uh, at Simon Edwards, SAF on Twitter. Right on. And you can follow me at Gareth Wheeler. Remember, go to pinnacle.com for comprehensive World Cup semifinal previews across our betting resources section. Plus, betting expert Brian Nicholson has written an in-depth piece explaining the theory of conditional probability and just what beating the the VIG means in sports betting. Uh, Please continue to follow Pinnacle on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as we ran off the tournament, plus build up to the NFL playoffs. My Eagles are flying right now. 12 and 1. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Um, It's a pleasure being part of this podcast, and all odds are correct as the time of recording. And just a reminder, we tell you this every time, please gamble responsibly. Uh, Simon, your journey to Qatar is almost coming to an end. Enjoy the rest of your time. Thank you for doing this. Jake, Andrew, thanks for bearing down and dealing with the snowy conditions in the UK today. I know how difficult it's been for both of you. Yeah, I don't think we've had as much snow as you guys over there, but um, yeah. It doesn't take a lot to derail this country. Right on. It doesn't take much to derail this podcast as well, but we got through another episode. This is the World Cup 2022, uh, courtesy of Pinnacle.